You're listening to the greyhill.com's Insights Podcast. I'm your host, Barry Robertson, and welcome to Season 2. As part of all things theatre, the discussion would never be complete if we did not talk about the Britannia Panopticum, one of the oldest remaining music halls in Britain, if not the world. And today we have the very man here to help us do just that, one of Scotland's finest panto dames, Grant F. Kids. Grant, welcome to the Insights Podcast. Uh, we're so glad to have you here. Oh, thank you. It's great to be here. I know, me and Grant go well back, so it's really lovely to uh, actually have you on the show and talk all things theatre. How you been? Yeah, good. Working away, in and out with sort of theatre and the arts and having a rare tear. <laughs> <laughs> Where are you today? Uh, so I am currently in the Britannia Panopkin at the moment um, to do this. Uh, just because it seemed a lot easier if I'm going to be talking about the Panopticon and talking about everything that the Panopticon does and talking about drag to the steamy, might as well do it here before I take a trip along to the bars to try and find extra props, costumes and ephoralia. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's the best place to get all that stuff, I suppose, in Glasgow. You'll have a whale of a time. Grant, I almost don't know where to start, but let's start with a little bit of history about the musical and and bring us up to date with your role, or indeed roles, at the venue. Okay, so the Britannia Pinocchio Music Hall opened in 1857. Um, so as a music hall, it would be the back room of a pub. So our pub was the Britannia Vaults. Unfortunately, we didn't have space behind our pub for them to put a back room in. So we were built above the pub, which eventually ended up saving us. Um, because we were like one story up. And the building went through a series of owners, including A. Pickard, who bought the building in 1906 and added in the rooftop carnival, the freak show and the basement zoo. He eventually sold the building in 1938 and it was then basically boarded up and full ceilings put in and used as a shop and warehouse up until 1997 when Judith Bowers was eventually able to get in, get above the false ceiling and discover that as much as everyone had told her that it had all been ripped out, that the music hall was still intact above these fake walls and fake ceilings and the beer bottles were still sitting in the balcony from the last audience. So the campaign started to try and get the building back into public ownership, which we're still working on, but turn it back into a functioning museum and venue for the work, the social economic working class of Glasgow. That's amazing. And we are officially the world's oldest surviving music hall because we are actually a music hall and we are the oldest of the ones that haven't burnt to the ground. Oh, amazing, mate. That's so much history there. And what's your roles within the organisation? So officially within the charity, I am the finance officer and buyer manager, which is basically there so that they can keep me in payroll for me to be able to produce their annual panto, their monthly drag show, and now drag to the steamy. Oh my goodness, that sounds amazing. So lots of different hats, and you must love working there. I know I'm certainly giggling at just 
about the upcoming production of Drag to the Steamy and it sounds hilarious. Can you tell us a little bit more about what inspired you to to create the show? Okay, so Drag to the Steamy is basically the Steamy by Tony Roper, which this year celebrates its 35th anniversary. And the only difference is, is rather than being four women and one man in the cast, it's four men and one one woman. Uh, the characters' genders remain the same, but you do have three drag queens, one male actor, and a international ballet star playing these roles instead. Um, oh my goodness, apart from that, it's basically the same steamy that you'll have watched on STV or seen in one of the national tours or seen at one of the local amateur productions over the last 35 years. It mainly, you could say it started in 1996 when this little boy from Ayrshire watched the steamy and went, right, I want to be Margaret. Because it was just something really fascinating. <laughs> these four women talking about their lives. So there's no story to the steamy. There's no plot. There's no high drama. Um, there is in the novel, not as much in the play. Um, it's just four women in 1953 talking about their lives and what it's like to be a wife in 1953, which to me, was real, as a six-year-old, was really interesting. Then about 10, 12 years ago, I started thinking, like, could you do it with drag queens? Because I'd started meeting like, other people who, similar to me, became actors and became involved in Scottish theatre because of the steamy. Um, so, so like, it was a, a going joke for about 10, 12 years. Like, I want to do a drag version of the steamy. I've got like, programme bios, which say, you know, these are the roles that he's played previously. You know, and he, here's the roles that he would love to play that bit. And the last line of it is, However, it's never going to happen, but his ideal role is Margaret in the Steamy. And that's from a show I did in here, <laughs> like one of the first shows that I did in here. Um, and it's been this ongoing joke for sort of 10, 12 years. Um, mm. Just prior to the pandemic happening, I was working with two other sort of drag queens in a troupe. We'd been doing parody shows, we were doing big review shows. And the next show we were planning was to do the Steamy with drag queens. Judith Bowers, who's the project director of the, at the Panopticon, uh, knew Tony Roper, had messaged him, and he's like, yeah, that's fine, just don't do it. You can't do it or announce it before Hugmanay because of the hydro happening. Yeah. So it was planned for July 2020. That was all fine, hunky-dory. Pandemic happened before we announced it, because it was meant to be announced at the end of March. We were doing another show at the end of March. And the whole plan mm-hmm. was, at the end of that show, we were announcing that we were doing the Steamy, and those who'd been at that show get first chance to the tickets that had been announced properly. Pandemic happened, and so it didn't happen. Mm-hmm. When we reopened, I got asked, are you still doing the Steamy? By this point, me and the other two drag queens had decided to take a bit of a sort of hiatus, because we'd continued working through the pandemic when we could, and we're a bit mm-hmm. burnt out. And I'm like, um, yeah, but I don't think we'll get permission. They're like, what do you mean? I'm like, well, we permission to do it in July 2020. It doesn't mean we can do it in September 2022. Phone Tony Roper again, and this time he had two years to think about it and was like, why are you doing it with drag queens? Or oh, I'm not so sure. <laughs> like, which is totally like valid and relevant. Um, had I met with Tony Roper at the beginning of this year, and he's like, right, I get you love the play. 
like, but why do you want to do it with drag queens? I don't understand why you want to do it with drag queens. And I basically went into the same ramble that I've done for sort of 10 years about how much I love the steamy, yeah. what the steamy means, the, the, the themes that the steamy deals with, that other plays might deal mm. with, but it deals with, the, like, it deals with sectarianism in a way that shows you that there is no difference between, like, Protestants and Catholics. Questions are, at, like, Dolly asked Margaret all these sort of, like, misconceptions about Catholicism, but it's never mm-hmm. done with any malice. It's just things like, you just have to go, don't you? You know, and it's like it's explained that way. They deal with the sort of social economic issues of, of the 1950s, and as a play that got a lot of Scottish actors, including a lot of Scottish drag performers, into acting and into theatre. Um, my Dame was based on like Margaret and Dolly originally. I do another character called Clean Jean that's based on that sort of idea of not as much Margaret and Dolly, but those sort of like women up a close, those sort of like strong mm. women who the the world's against them or they have sort of these hard lives, but it's get up, carry on and keep going. Um, somehow I managed to convince them that you should let us do the same with drag queens. And somehow I managed to convince them that I had to play Margaret. Because going into that meeting, <laughs> into that meeting as much as Margaret was my dream, I said to do this trip beforehand, I went, look, if we get permission to do it again, mm-hmm. I think we need to addition out Margaret. And she's like, why? <sighs> she went, the whole point we're doing this is for you to play Margaret. I went, but I don't think it's fair just because I know you and you know Tony. If we get permission for me to automatically play like Margaret, because I know that there's many Scottish actors and Scottish drag performers. Yeah. That's that really honourable of you to do that. Want to play Margaret. Um, however, we had the meeting and the response came back with, well, you can do it, but it must be this year because it's the 35th anniversary. There's likely to be a tour next year of like, right. the professional anniversary tour. Um, so they weren't time to do it this year with the pandemic. So there's murmurs that there may be another anniversary tour sort of next year. It has to be in Britannia Panopticon because it is Glasgow's socioeconomic history. The fact that our back wall has looked that way since like the 20s. So it does look like the back wall of a steamy. It's just yeah. um, breaking. Um, and Tony wanted me to play Margaret because of explaining <sighs> who I thought Margaret was. And I'm like, okay, that's... What a compliment. Um, that's fair. But it's very easy with Margaret to take on any kind of the stereotypes think mm. that was the difference. We didn't want to take these as stereotypes. It wasn't that Margaret's angry, Dolly's loud, Doreen's young, Mystical Feathers is old and weak. We mm. actually, these are real life three-dimensional women and characters. There's reasons why Margaret appears angry all the time. Tell me something. Do you think those characters have changed from when they were placed in those generations to now in 2023 or do you think those characters are still about in our, in today's society i would say there's i say there's different issues that are faced by women and everyone in society but yeah. a lot of the issues still sort of remain there may be this idea of more gender equality but there is still this mm. aspect of where it's a woman's job to look after 
like the children and all that, men go out and work and, you know, women sort of cook, they clean, you know, we may have washing machines now, but it's still 99% of the time going to be a woman that's going to be responsible for doing the washing. Um, there is still women with alcoholic husbands. There's... Yeah. One thing I was going to say, boys, we get out quite a lot of international audiences at the Insights podcast. So some of them might be thinking, the steamy, what, what is the steamy? Because you just went, oh, we've got washing machines. Now, for anybody that doesn't know what a steamy is, can you fill them in? <laughs> yep. So the steamy was the colloquial name given by people to the public wash houses. So in the late 1800s, the Glasgow Corporation and other sort of like district councils uh, across, probably across the UK, but definitely across Scotland, um, started building public wash houses to help with sanitation. Now, it really started in the late 1700s with a lot of places, but that was more they allowed like public rivers and public greens to be used for sort of sanitation. And by the late 1800s, they started actually building these public wash houses which started being given the name the steamy due to the metal of boiling water and steam that was created um, like within them. Um, the last Glasgow steamies, or like traditional Glasgow steamies with like the two Belfast sinks and the boilers and the ringers mm. closed in the 1960s. Um, however, the Glasgow green grind, drying green um, was used up until the late 70s and is still technically there for use by Glasgow citizens to hang out their washing to dry them if they wish. Wow. We continue this podcast after this short message. Rab's fortunes have declined along with the fishing industry in which he has worked his whole life. But now he eyes a glimpse of hope. Catherine Jacaska's short play, The Price of a Fish Supper, was first performed at the Oren Moor in Glasgow as part of a play, A Pie and a Pint, in the season of March 2005. Joyce McMillan from The Scotsman gave this production four out of five stars, saying that it was beautifully written, working class life story of an ex-fisherman driven to almost to self-destruction. Are you after a fry? You'll be lucky. Folk used to say that. Have you got a fry? Dogs abuse. Now you'd get dogs abuse. There are lucky fishermen and there are unlucky fishermen. My grandfather was lucky. My great-grandfather was lucky. King Herring. When Wally's sitting in the stern with the wire, feeling for the herring, shouts to Kruger, Keep her west! I've felt all night, but this is the best! They used to... They used to come down the harbour after a fry. People like you, holiday folk, when the harbour was busy, that was The Price of a Fish Stopper, written by Catherine Jacaska. For more information on more audio dramas from The Grey Hill, visit our website, thegreyhill.com. Now, back to your podcast. So Grant, why... I think the show with Drag Queen sounds amazing and I need to get a ticket, so please message me and remind me. But I think it will work with Drag Queens and the Steamy. 
But what was the reasons behind doing it in drag? Um, a lot of the issues that it deals with, maybe not directly, is like the sort of the sex and the misogyny. Like it is four mm-hmm. women talking about their lives and their men, but the mm-hmm. comments that they make about their men are quite a lot of them quite sort of derogatory. You know, things like mm-hmm. Margaret's husband's drunk. You get that sense that the men in the nineteen fifties are alcoholics. The men are all like dirty because it was like manual jobs that they were doing. You have a male character who's in there that thinks he's this, you know, big sort of Casanova. Um and there is a lot of like misogyny and sexism within it by turning it on its head and having what everyone is fully aware that it is a man up there in a penny. You know what I mean? As much as we're playing a female character, it's a man up there in a penny. Making these comments about men, the fact that we've got it's a female that's playing Andy. It's spelled because, although that wasn't the plan, it's just to end up being cast with the open casting process. We have a burlesque dancer who's playing Andy. So someone, so a female who does a very sort of like feminine and makes their living on sort of selling femininity or men's idea of femininity um, is playing this misogynistic, drunken male handyman. Um, but also because... I am an actor and a drag queen and a panto dame because mm-hmm. I fell in love with these women without the steamy. If I was doing dame and doing drag, I don't think I'd be doing it the way that I do it. So this is really why we're doing the sort of steamy and drag. It's bringing it kind of full circle of... There is, and there's male Scottish actors as well that I know who are like approached about this project, some had scheduling conflicts, some of them just had a had a character idea in their head that wasn't available. Um, although technically they were thinking wrong. Um, it is basically showing that it doesn't matter whether it's a man or a woman discussing these issues. Um, yeah. These characters are still there, and these characters, the play is so well written, and the characters are so well written that it doesn't really matter who plays them. It works, but also you are dealing with like, those sort of social issues of how many times have you saw, you know, I mean, a, whether it's been an actress from River City or we Jeanette, you know, what I mean, for Pat Mill, you know, what I mean, playing like these roles, um, is the sort of like same role, but does it change if you've got like a like a man there like making these comments, and does it add something to it? Yeah. You know, what I mean, the fact that. As much as while you're in here for the two and a half hours, you need to believe that you're looking at four women from the 1950s and one man who's a handyman. Yeah. Do you tell me about? Oh, sorry. Tell me about how it helps the venue and what's the seating capacity if anybody hasn't been to the venue before. Um. So our capacity is currently 100 seats. Um. Down from the 1500 that it was in Victorian times, but. Unfortunately, health and safety is now taken over, so we're allowed 100 seats. Um, it does, like, this show, because of the difference in it, um, the fact that, you know, we are doing Scotland's most loved play that is about women. It's a play that was written for women in a time where women didn't really have plays about them that they starred in. There was the token woman in a play. There wasn't plays about women with, like, female cast. Um, is being done 
you know, by sort of men, it does add a wee bit of sort of interest, which brings more attention to the building. I mean, the Britannia Panopticon is world famous, apart from in Glasgow. Um, we've had people come over from San Francisco, from Seattle, from Australia, that walk along a Gale Street, along the train gate, right down our lane, through the door, and know exactly where we are. They know about the history of Stan Laurel making his debut here in 1906. They know all that. Ask any Glaswegian, where's the Britannia Panopticon? Most of them don't have a clue. Ask them where Stan Laurel made his debut, and they'll tell you America, even though he made his <laughs> debut in Glasgow. He was born in Yorkshire, made his debut in Glasgow, joined a trip in Glasgow that then went to America. The trip came back, mm-hmm. but him and Charlie Chaplin stayed in America. And so it does, mm-hmm. it should hopefully bring more people into, like, the Panopticon as a museum, as a space for hire for be- for events and parties, um, and sort of come and see sort of shows because and is, not only is that something that you're trying to do more of, Grant, of uh, renewing the venue? Is it support that you're looking for to make it more safe, get more seats in, support the the museum? What's the ultimate goal for the charity? The ultimate goal for the charity is to bring the building back into public ownership and then continue operating it as a working venue and museum. Um, wow. At the moment, it's in private ownership. It's been sort of 25 years of battles and forwards between having to sort of like find the money to buy it and then like the fees sort of like there as well as operating it and keeping it. Because if it doesn't operate, it's going to crumble. And Glasgow's mm-hmm. lost enough of its buildings... The whole of the UK has lost enough of its historic buildings. Um, mm. So it is a bit... We're, a cons- we're definitely a conservation project, not a restoration project. So it's not like the Kings or the Gaiety where they sort of like go in, rip it out and build something that looks like a 1905 theatre or a 1857 music hall. It is, we, we will always have peel and paint and tobacco stains because the tobacco stain and you see in our ceiling is the Victorian tobacco smoke. That sort of like stained our ceiling. Um, mm-hmm. So, hopefully, once we own the building, our front entrance can go back in. We can reopen the balcony. Um, we can like increase the capacity, not to the 1500 that they had in Victorian times, probably to about 150 to 200. Because a lot of the balcony, as much as it's there, the sight lines are going to are terrible once you hit like, the side bits. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. And to operate it as like, a going forward as like, a working venue. But we are so as a working for... as a working venue, what kind of things does the venue um put on? Because I think you're right. I think a lot of people don't know that it's there or think of it still as a museum. And the thing that I really like about the story of the venue is that to me, when you talk about music hall, like today music hall is that Britain's got talent, it's America's got talent, isn't it? It's very much yeah. like that. Um, think about Glasgow back in the day and they had these theatres everywhere that would be competing for people to sit down uh, and watch it and I suppose what's great about this venue is and I've, I've been it's been years since I've been in the venue but I have been there is a sense of history when you go in it's not like anywhere else when you go into that venue you look at the the museum all the the stuff from that age but then when you sit in the theatre you go wow you just your imagination takes you back to that Victorian age so tell us about some of the stuff that you can see in the venue just now 
where can you get information about upcoming shows and how do you get tickets for it? Yep. So you can find us on the internet, www.britanniapanopticon.org. We're on all social media as the Britannia Panopticon Music Hall um, for sort of technical information. We run a monthly uh, drag show, uh, a monthly comedy night. We show... Every, the first Wednesday of every second month, we've got a Lauren Hardy night ran by the Sons of the Desert because Dan mm. Lauren made his debut here. On the alternate uh, months, there's a silent film with full live orchestra. Um, oh, I didn't know that. That sounds amazing. Yeah, um, we do. Um, last night, we had the Rocky Horror Shadow cast in. We do that a couple Ooh. of times a year as well. Um we have film nights, sing-along nights. We do. We now do a panto every year. We've done that since 2016, um, which is a family show plus an adult show. I would try and plug my adult panto this year, but there's like 10 tickets left by the time this podcast goes out. I'm going to be sold out again. So there's no <laughs> <laughs> Because it, the adult panto does sell out really quickly every year. Yeah. Like, you might not think I'm very good at adult panto. I still sell it. I'm still the first panto in Glasgow to sell out. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I can imagine yeah. the themes in that panto. I know you well. <laughs> I, I'll be honest, we don't... People think the adult panto is going to be like a Jim Davis one that's crude and all that. I was yeah. isn't. We, because we do the family panto as well at the same time, our yeah. adult's only one is the exact same panto you see at the family show, except you get to go a wee bit further with some of the jokes. It's not yeah, intended to be like crude and crass and blue. It's literally the same family panto. You you feel like a kid again coming to the panto, except rather than yeah. going, well, you get away with it, you say something else. I'm not sure what your rating is in this podcast. I'm not actually swear, but <laughs> you get to do that. You get to make sort of like the innuendos in the sort of family show. You get to push a wee bit sort of further than the adult show. Um, yeah. And if you want a ticket, there's 10 left, so hurry up. There's, okay. there's, there's, there's 10 left. Search for Aladdin after that, <laughs> for the adult one, or Panto 2022 Aladdin um, for the family one. There's plenty of family tickets left. Um, all the events that we do within the Music Hall must somehow fit into Music Hall history or Glasgow socioeconomic history. So we don't in general, we don't do sort of straight plays. We don't do like rock music because straight plays we aren't performed in music hall, and neither was sort of like rock music. We can do the more than equivalent of music hall acts, which is why we have like a stand up comedy night. Even though stand up comedy wasn't a music hall thing, comedy was a big part of music hall, so we can do stand up comedy. We do the drag shows because drag was a big part of music hall including people like Desta Tilly, who was a male impersonator, mm. because short horror drag kings actually came before drag queens as an entertainment in their own right. But That's true. People don't, people don't want to mention that. They want, um, so I know, drag, I think it's because we're used to drag queens, uh-huh. and RuPaul Drag's Race has really brought it to the front, but actually, we don't hear very much about drag kings, who... In their own right, are just as good as drag queens. It yeah, seems like, to be this misconception. I think there's a there is a conception when it comes to is that oh, drag queen you know you the drag queens then the drag king sort of came and then you go oh drag queens go back to like Grecian theatre and Shakespearean theatre. Not really though. Like drag to the steam, mm. it goes back to sort of Grecian theatre because it is men playing female roles. 
But if you look at drag as an art form in its own right, it started with drag kings due to the women not being able to, like, the more the law is important was. So a drag yeah. king could stand there in a suit and show his ankles where a dancing girl couldn't. couldn't. She showed mm-hmm. more than her ankles, but we'll not talk about it. Um, <laughs> so drag kings as actually being someone who was a drag performer it started with drag kings and people like Besta Telly, the British Blondes. Um, it started with them and then it was later on. You had people like Old Mother Riley coming in, Dan Leno, who were then playing these sort of female characters. Um, yeah. But that sort of seems to get forgotten about and everyone wants to do drag history, either starting in the 60s with New York Ballrooms, which is nothing to do with British drag, or going way back to like Shakespearean theatre where that wasn't drag, that was only men that are allowed to work and perform, so female roles yeah. were played by men. It's not actually... It's really interesting. Grant, I want to quickly ask you, um, before I uh, talk to you about your insights, what do you think about Scottish theatre now and music hall? Would you like to see more of our regular funded organisations create music hall acts to support the venue? Like, would you see music hall in 2023 in Scotland? Do you think it's still frowned upon or looked down at? And how are artists being perceived, those that really like music hall? Do you think it's even harder being a Scottish music hall act in Scotland rather than, say, somebody that's had shows in the Tron or worked in the sets? Do you think there is a difference just now? Uh, yeah, so what kept music hall was, was variety theatre. Um, yeah. And the variety theatre and the sort of like variety shows have sort of died away as well, but there is still a market for that across the UK. You might not be able to make a career as a variety or a music hall performer the same as you could before. Um because we've now we've hit another sort of like celebrity sort of high dip where when there is a variety show on, it's not really variety performers, it's it's celebrities who are then not known for singing, but oh they'll be sort of singing in this show or, They'll be doing this, or they'll be doing sort of wee sort of like sketches. Um, I think there, like, there definitely is a place for variety and music hall, which are very sort of similar. You know, variety came from music hall. The reason you've got variety theatres is because they were a posher version of the music hall, and it killed music hall because you're paying the same price for practically the same show. But would you rather sit in the Velvet seats of the Kings, or would you rather be in the East End of Glasgow on a wooden bench for your penny? Um, so yeah, it would be good to see more of that. It would be good to see more funding coming for Scottish work by Scottish artists that look at Scotland or Scotland's sort of history. I'm not going to badmouth any funding organisation but I would question some decisions that are made on what is and isn't funded when this project won't have any public support and we are practically sold. We've sold more tickets than expected at this stage. However, some funders will fund someone from England who's living in Glasgow for a year and film themselves eating chips 
apparently that is important to Scotland's creative endeavours and creative landscape more than Scotland's most beloved play being done in a new way with support, with pub, with proven public support from market research and from... But it's yeah. fine. We can do it without, and they don't get their nice wee label on it. <laughs> what I was going to say to you was, your journeys are really exciting as a fellow Ayrshire lad like myself. Um, tell us more about how you ended up from being that boy grant in Ayrshire to where you are now. I ask this all the time because I think it's really important that people understand the journey of a creative and it's not just like one day you just become a creative. The story itself is really unique. Tell us yours. Uh, so, you know, I went through this, all like, the youth theatre route, but it was like, well, you do youth theatre and you'll do like, maybe, you maybe do like an amateur sort of like thing later on, you need to sort of get a real job. Um, was meant to study higher drama as one of my courses at secondary school. Um, for sort of like sixth year, you know, you could do this where you disappeared to the college a day to do higher drama. That was all fine. And then they changed their timetable, so I couldn't go. So me being the stubborn person I am went, that's fine, and applied to my NQ in acting and performance. So out the window was this whole idea that I was going to go to Abertay and study food science and become like an HE teacher or something like that. Nope, that's it. I'm going and doing that. Um, got my HND in acting performance, and went, I'm not going to go do my degree because I spent three years studying. I'm now skint. I now know there's no such thing as a skint student because once you start working, you realise how much money students are actually getting. Skint student is not a thing. So I worked for a couple of years like in Asda while also doing like amateur shows and Ed, different things. So I did that. Was then sort of like went back and did finance at college to to have more of a sort of like business background, looking at getting into like arts admin sort of stuff. Because as much as I wanted to play Margaret and I wanted to be a performer, the real dream is I wanted to own and run a theatre. You know what I mean? So that mm. any show I did want to do, I could do. Um, that's never happened. I'm not winning the lottery because there's quite expensive <laughs> things to run. Um, to do, you know, and was doing sort of like arts admin and stuff. So I was performing. I was organising shows um, as well. Um, and I've sort of like flip-flopped between being a performer for things, having to organise shows, you know, like flip-flopped between the sort of like the producing the arts admin side and sort of performing show. In terms of like roles that I've played to get me to this point, if I'm ever famous, my obituary will look amazing. I don't feel as if I've done much, but the obituary looks amazing. I will be the first, you know, male-identifying performer to have played Margaret in the Steamy. I'm the I'm the actor who took over from Gerard Kelly as Willie Melvin in City Lights. So the first time City Lights was done out with the original cast doing the tour, I played sort of like Willie Melvin. And I mean, I did for, for whatever reason be named as one of Scotland's finest pantomime dames in the Scotsman newspaper. So I've got all these sort of like nice wee like ticky boxes that would make an obituary look great. But in between that, I've been playing like other roles, you know what I mean? I've been going up and down the country um, doing sort of like performing as anti-FA and a sort of drag act, organising variety shows, you know what I mean? Working in a 
working for a skint charity that is actually skint, organising shows, performing in shows, having to do bar and all that. So I have spent probably the last 20-odd years in entertainment and the arts and sort of theatre, but it has been sort of like different levels. I've worked front of house for the Palace Theatre in Kilmarnock and for the Air Gaty. I've done ticket days for the Air Gaty. Um, I worked for Air Youth Arts Network on a project to get young people into the arts, which was a really sort of like fun year, you know, doing that. The person before me was sort of like leaving this job, come up, I did that job for you. That was sort of like really fun. Got to meet, meet some great people sort of like through that. Met some weird people as well, but we'll not talk about it. Um, and I actually really enjoyed working at IAN because you could see the one getting the young people into the arts. Because much mm-hmm. it doesn't really so much happen with drag to the steamy. I do think that arts can be therapeutic and used for sort of reasons. So it could be that people are going to come and see the steamy and realise things in their own life, or will remember, because it is a very nostalgic play, even though it's written in the 80s, set in the 50s, as nostalgic, and you will see yourself and people you know in this play. If you don't recognise anyone in this play, you are someone in this play. Um, Talking about the steamy, tell us more about your other cast members, and... If we've seen them before, what have they been in? And yeah, tell us more about them. Okay. So, um, our Dolly is d- d- just a male actor. I'm like, I was trying to think how I was describing that there. So, uh, we'll get them <laughs> next. No, because the rest of the cast are all like cab, like drag, drag cabaret performers, yeah, yeah, but yeah. less performers. And um, so, I'm like, if we start, so Jim Dixon is a, an actor, I think from East Kilbride. Um, who's been like performing as an actor for years, has played like Dame and done like, all this, he's got a but good background sort of like in comedy, and um, was playing Dolly. So he is a he sort of ticks our box so, as it's as male actors doing this. Um as much as you know three of the women are actually professional drag queens, it's male actors doing this. It's not just a bunch of drag queens. Um Doreen is played by Noma Divine, who was a professionally um trained dancer, much a professional dancer, became a drag queen, went back and did acting, and has been sort of performing. Um, I'm obviously playing Margaret, you know, one of Scotland's finest pantomime dames is sort of playing Margaret. Um, and Mystical Feathers is played by Sally Starshine, um, who, before there was Sally Starshine, Stuart worked for the Royal Shakespeare Company. Wow. So, um... It is, we are all actually, we're all professionally trained actors who have who have happened to either now do drag as well as act or have experience of doing like, sort of like drag or dame roles. And then Andy is, of course, played by um, international ballet performer Roxy Stardust, the Glas Vegas showgirl, who wow. is currently, I think, headlining about three shows at the Fringe. Because I really can't keep up. Because every time she posts, it's a different <laughs> um Has been performing in Las Vegas and has also just completed her, I think it's her MA in musical theatre. She's, she's completed some sort of like big qualification in musical theatre um, as well, but has been working for, I would say, at least 10 years as a ballet performer internationally. 
like not she also runs the Glasgow Festival of Burlesque. Um, so it is a really good and sort of strong cast that we have for this. It was it was done by open edition. It was you know all sort of publicised. People could apply and come in. We have ended up with the people that if I had to handpick them because I, I refused to be part of the casting process. I was mm-hmm. part of it, but I refused to make the decision. I said I'll be at the editions and I'll read. I mean, I'll read them for the editions, but I'm not being the one that makes the decision because there's too many people auditioning and too many people that I know that mm. I can't say no because I knew that there was at least two people coming for Dolly that I knew and had had a conversation with over the last day and yeah. years about it's what really hard. to drag to the steamy. Or at that point, it was just a drag version of the steamy. Um, and two of these people at different points had been who would be playing Dolly. Um, one of them was then cast and unfortunately had a scheduling conflict which that was hard because it had been sort of 10 years of never admitting that this person was going to be Dolly. Like we spoke about it like 10 years ago but every time it sort of come up I was never going to admit that that's who's going to be Dolly or we'll find a Dolly but in the back of my head this person always was going to be Dolly and unfortunately they got the role, everything was sorted then realised that they, just, they thought the only issue was going to be the Thursday matinee mm-hmm. and then realised that the rehearsals are actually during the day. It's a three-week like professional rehearsal block, 10 to 6. Mm. And they were like, I don't know why. I just, for some reason, I just assumed that because it was in Britannia, it was going to be like evening rehearsals. And mm-hmm. I'm like, no, like, so that it gets done right, I'm taking three weeks off my work. And it's, you know, you're hired and paid for See what's your hair, so like, I can't do it. I've tried, I've looked at trying to get time off. Um, mm. So we've ended up with the cast that I would have handpicked myself, even though I said I wasn't making the decision. And I didn't make the decision. The decision was made by Judith, the other producer, who looked at all, all the additions. We brought people back for callbacks to do a chemistry test because the whole play is four women on stage for two and a half hours. If we yeah. don't work together, the play doesn't work. Um, did the chemistry test and Judith said she needed a day to think about it, which confused me because I was in that chemistry test and I knew. <laughs> what, what was, what, I was like, I was like, no, but like, we've been through these sort of formations. I know exactly who it is. Like, why do you need a day to think about this? This is clear. Um, <laughs> we, all, we, all, we all walked out and Judith looked up and I turned back and I went, why do you need a day? She went, because I'm not going to see it in front of the ones that are unsuccessful. And I'm like, <laughs> all right, wait, like, so are you going to tell me who it is and she's like well it's obviously going to be Stuart and James that are mystical feathers oh. and Dory and I'm like oh thank god because <laughs> um, everyone that got called back was amazing right? and they yeah. were all amazing but there was just something that worked with those two who were the two that I had been working with who were meant to have done yeah. the steamy when we were doing it in 2020 and then because we'd taken a hiatus and then we got permission again, I says, well, if we're in hiatus and it's not now been done by the best of it's been done by the Panopticon, um, it needs to be auditioned out. And we auditioned like, a lot of people and there was a lot of people that could have played Doreen. There was a lot there was a lot of people who could have played Mystical Ferrers, but no, no one as good as Stuart. Stuart just Do you know something? Face. It's so nice to hear that there is 
a home for this type of work. And I'm so glad to hear that this venue is becoming that home for Glasgow because I think it perfectly fits it. And And I'm sitting here listening to you and I'm just like, A, I need a ticket. B, you've convinced even me to, I would, okay, put it out there. I would quite like to see me in drag. I don't know how I would look, but I'm I'm always interested in it. But uh, that's another conversation. But lastly, tell us your dates. Uh, so Drag System runs from the 20th of September to the 24th of September. Um, however, if you're wanting tickets, your best bet is to get them for the 20th or the 21st of September. Um, because the Saturday is completely sold out. The Friday Already? night, two tickets left. Um, so you're looking for the Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. If you want to be a wee bit special, you can get tickets for our opening gala on Tuesday, the 20th of September, where your ticket also includes, after the show, a reception at Avant Garde, um, where you get to sort of meet, mingle with the cast and let the, everyone else that's bought tickets or let them buy to guests. And the scary bit is that I've been informed that Tony Roper will be there at the opening gala. <gasps> and Yay! Got, like, I, knew, I knew he was getting invited and I knew he was coming at some point. But it's now, like, I got a message, message actually, like, yep, Tony says the Tuesday is absolutely fine. It's coming then. So it's him and his wife, and then I message later on. He wants to bring someone else. I'm like, oh, that's like, that's fine. <laughs> you know, like, how many people, how many seats we sort of put aside? Because, you yeah. know, Tony Roper can bring whoever he wants to this team. I found out who else he wants to bring. That is really scary. I can't tell you who he's bringing, but that is really scary who he's bringing. Right, hopefully you can tell me after this, but it's okay if you don't. Listen, um, Grant, I could talk to you forever and ever, and... As per always, even though I haven't seen you in a little while, it's just like we've connected yet again and it's been an honour chatting to you. It's so interesting to hear about... It's so interesting for me anyway, being coming from Ayrshire, of anybody from Ayrshire that moves on and builds a career within the industry and you are definitely one of those people that has managed to do that and I admire every single thing about you and for putting on... Uh, the steamy a drag version for s- supporting the venue and believing in something and and what I really admire about you is you've never let go of that fight to to believe in something and you can totally hear it in this episode about the venue and your love for music hall and you know what Glasgow doesn't yet know how how cherished you are to to lead that fight and music hall will be around a lot more thanks to you and your colleagues um for really supporting uh the venue and please don't be a stranger i've loved chatting to you and i hope that the show goes really well and uh after covid and everything that the venue picks up and becomes a more success if you want to find out more about grant and the steamy or more about the the venue links are down below in the podcast thanks very much for coming on board grant no problem thanks for having me thanks for listening to another insights podcast if you would like to be featured on an upcoming episode then contact us via thegreyhill.com and clicking on the contact us banner at the bottom right hand corner of the page and you too could be featured in one of our episodes.